about it. Great. All right. So we're going to be diving into the question of prose bull. And prose bull is this rabbinic innovation that helps to balance the ideal of the Shemitah system with the real demands and the real conditions that life provides. Namely, the Torah actually already anticipates this as a problem. The first couple few weeks of the class, we were looking at the ideal system described by the Torah of what Shemitah means. That after every seven years, relationships of exploitation and objectification are abolished. The relationships of hierarchy become equal. Right? You don't use the land anymore. You become one with the land. Uh, you set your slaves free at the Jubilee. And similarly, the relationship of borrower and lender, of creditor and debtor, also become equalized. How? After every seven years, the debts are all abolished. Now, the Torah already anticipates that there might be a problem here. So let's look at that. Let's look at that anticipation. It says at the end of every seven years, this is how Shemitah works. All debts held against your fellow are abolished or are remitted. Shamot, right? It's where the word Shemitah comes from. But the Torah already has a, a niggling that there might be a problem here. It says, lo yigosh esrei right? Do not oppress your neighbor or your sibling, your fellow person, because it is a Shemitah for God. There is a higher purpose you're called for. But in reminding us of that, the Torah is already anticipating that we're going to be called by our baser, more greedy, miserly, Scrooge-like nature. Right? It's a Shemitah for God, not for your pockets, the Torah says. Clearly already anticipating that some people are not going to be generous when it comes to offering loans. If they know that after the seven-year cycle is up, the loan's gone, right? They can't, like, you, you give a loan usually because you want to get it back. And if they're not going to be able to get it back, then why would they ever offer it in the first place, right? That's obviously the main problem. So the Torah continues further in the chapter. It says, take care, lest you have this nasty thought um, that at the end of the seven years, that you might look um, ungenerously, even wickedly, with your eyes at your poor uh, fellow. You're not going to give them the loan. And they'll call out to God against you, and you will be guilty in God's eyes. And the Torah then insists emphatically, Give them the loan. And do not regret it. Do not um, sort of looking for begrudge it to them, right? This is something they have a right to. The fact that you're being greedy is your problem, not theirs. But again, the Torah is anticipating the reasonable response, right? The reasonable reaction of a creditor to a system of debts in which after every seven years, the debt goes away. That is, means it's a real risk for the credit economy, by which, you know, in simple terms, if people need a loan because the bottom dropped out and they're suddenly in ad more adverse circumstances than they thought they would be, they need to have money available to borrow. But if people with money don't want to be lending it out because it's become now at a certain place in the Shemitah cycle, it's going to be a gift, not a loan. It's a very different uh, very different situation, a very different position the lender is in. So they might not lend it to you anymore. 
Um, so that's effectively the issue. Um, so let's look at see how this plays out. So we're looking at a, um, a text from the Mishnah in which it says, it gives us examples of times that the rabbis have had to intervene in the normal working of halacha to ensure that certain social facts or certain social goals remain. So it says, it says that a widow does not inherit from the property of the orphans except by a vow. It's technical law. Basically, it's that if uh, the husband dies, right, the money goes to, the, to his inheritors. And the almana, though, has rights to her ketubah to make sure that she's taken care of but she's only able to get what she needs if that money is held by the inheritors, if they make her take a vow to make sure that it's not that she's double dipping, right? That she didn't already get a gift from her, uh, from her widow, uh, from her husband before he died. So then we see the problem, right? I mean, you can imagine that if it requires her making a special promise that maybe they're not gonna believe her anymore. So it's a nimna umilashpia. Right, then they stopped making her take the vow, i.e. widows were left out in the cold and they didn't have any money to support them because the orphans were scared that they're getting taken advantage of. Again, no one's right, no one's wrong here, right? Everyone has, everyone has a right to feel insecure, right? The widow is insecure because her husband's dead and he was the, you know, the channel of her support and the, and the inheritors are insecure because they just inherited money. Maybe they don't have a livelihood yet and suddenly that money's gonna get taken away. Okay, so they stopped making her take the vow, i.e. the widows were left out in the cold. Hiskin Rabban Gamliel Hazakin, Rabban Gamliel the Elder, enacted. He said, listen, okay, you don't want her to take a vow. A vow is serious, but what about, sorry, an oath is serious, but what about a vow, right? There's a difference between a shavua, which is a positive promise. I promise that I did not take extra money before he died, and a neder in which she has to say, I swear that anything I might have benefited from, if I did, I am forbidden from, from, from using. And i.e., if she then breaks that vow, that has really serious consequences. So Rabban Gamaliel basically puts the keys in the inheritor's hands, saying, you get to make her promise whatever you want. You could like really hold her feet to the fire, as long as the end result is that she's able to get the money that she needs to live. So just make sure we get what this uh, dynamic entails. It's dialectic. How would you like, how would you sum up what Rabban Gamliel's motivation was? Has anyone got a, an answer, an idea? He was trying to do... Um a legal fix so that the widow can be trusted because of the prosbul. So she's trusted instead of having to make like a vow to Hashem saying, I didn't get this money. She's covered. And then also um, other inheritors don't have to be suspicious of her. Good. It's that, I think that's a good way of putting it. It's not that he's taking in a way anyone's side. 
but rather he is identifying a real social problem, namely widows are left without sources of support because the inherited orphans are worried that their livelihood's getting taken away. And he's trying to protect every side. He's protecting the interests of the orphans by letting them define what the terms of the engagement are, right? They can make her promise whatever they want to make her promise to make sure that this is the only time that she's getting, that she's not double dipping effectively. And she, right, and he's protecting her because he's making sure that widows can get what they need. Okay, so we see Rabban Gamliel intervening for the sake of some kind of social um, stability, okay? Now, this is what's actually going to be known as tikkun olam. Nowadays, people use tikkun olam all the time, and it's like kind of a hippy-dippy thing about the environment, or it's a mystical thing about fixing the universe. Here's the origin of tikkun olam. Well, there's an er no, this is the origin of tikkun olam. It shows up also in Eleni, but that's a, that's a gaonic prayer. This is the earliest appearance of tikkun olam. Tikkun olam is, a, is social justice. But it's not about like being an activist. It is rather about ensuring that society can function. So as a tikkun olam, for the sake of fixing the world, it means for the sake of fixing society, to make sure that society can function. We live in a society, as the meme says. So it's a, here's another, here is the first examples of that. It says, witnesses sign it. Uh, uh, witnesses, when there is a divorce document, Witnesses need to put their, their name on the dotted line for the sake of fixing society, for the sake of society's sustainability. Why? Why do witnesses have to put their name on the dotted line? All right, divorce documents, very, very delicate thing because it has to do, you know, if you are, the wife and your um, infidelitous, then that can have really serious consequences. So to make sure that we need to make sure the divorce went through. So the witnesses put their name on the line so that we know that we can like check them. We can make sure that we have accountability, right? So this is Tikkun Olam about accountability, that people involving themselves with delicate social matters aren't, are able to be brought to, um, you know, brought to take responsibility for their actions. And finally, we get to Hillel enacted the prose bull for the sake of Tikkun Olam. But it doesn't explain what prose bull is. Not only that, but I want to be very clear about this. And here I follow the reading of Rav David Bigman of uh, Yeshivat Male Gilboa. What is not in the context of this Mishnah when it mentions Hillel and the prose bull? What doesn't show up? All it says is that Hillel enacted the prose bull for the sake of Tikkun Olam. What's not there? I'll give you a hint. It's the it's what the series is about. There's no Shemitah. Right? It doesn't say Shemitah. It just says he enacted the prose bull. So David Bigman, who is a Rosh Hashiva at a um, at Yeshiva Malagaba in the Galil, he says that originally. And here we get a little bit of a fun etymology. Crow's bull is, this is from um, Blau, uh, early 20th century scholar of rabbinic literature. Crow's bull comes from Greek, prosbula. And what crow's bull originally was, was a Greek financial mechanism by which a court was able to collect on a debt 
by selling off the borrower's property. And that's going to become relevant later as we see the way that ProSchool works. But in other words, let's say that you don't, have, you don't have money on hand and you default on a debt. The court can administer repaying the debt by seizing your property via lien, right? And selling it off so that uh, you have money so that then they apply the money to your debt. Okay, it's kind of similar in a way to like paycheck garnishing, right? Which is done nowadays, which is a, a bit of a regressive thing. But the idea is that, you know, if you owe money, student loans in America, at least, student loan companies can have, a, have an arrangement with paycheck companies um, and they, with payroll companies, and they actually garnish your wages to pay off the loan. Um, so it says that Hillel enacted the prose bull for the sake of society's sustainability. David Bigman argues in his essay, which was published in Akdamut, an Israeli religious kind of academic journal, that originally Hillel's enactment of the prose bull had nothing to do with Shemitah. It was prior to Shemitah. It, had, it basically was just to make sure that people weren't defaulting on loans in general. That he argues it only got applied to Shemitah in the later stages of the Tanaitic period. But for the sake of our class, we're not going to get into that, that kind of historical question. We're just going to stay with the, the context of Shemitah. Okay, we're going to see Prozbult in the context of how the credit economy can function despite the Shemitah rule. So just remind us, Shemitah means every seven years the debt is abolished. But Prozbult is going to, in some way, let the credit economy survive. Okay, so here's the example. It says, prosbul eno mishamet. Right, this is from the Mishnah about Shemitah. It says, if it is a prosbul, then the loan is not canceled. Oh, okay, fine. That's very interesting. So, in this again, we're going to read very strictly here. It would seem that a general a loan would be canceled, right? But a prosbul as an exception is not. This is one of the things that Hillel Hazakain enacted. When he saw that people had exactly like the Torah had predicted, stopped lending money to each other. And it's very interesting. And they're violating what it says in the Torah. Take care, lest you say in your heart something nasty and you don't loan to your nefellow. Hiskin Hillel Prosbul. So what's the justification from this context for Hillel's Prosbul? In a way, the Mishnah is saying that Hillel is breaking the Torah to save the Torah. Right, Hillel is inventing this thing called prose pool or applying it from Greek law. Why? So that the world doesn't break for the sake of tikkun olam, right? Like we saw before in Mishnah and Gittin. Hillel is making sure that while the, the choreography is different, the telos is the same. Right, so the actions are different now, i.e. there's this thing called prosbul that lets certain loans not be abolished at Shemitah. And that seems to be the opposite of Shemitah. But Hillel is saying that there's a principle in Shemitah, namely that the poor have access to loan money. That's gone now. 
So how can you have Shemitah if it's just become just abolish, uh, abolishing debt? And then it's kind of like the the um, the problem with like with a uh, beer katama zone nowadays. Have you ever like had a meal with people not on Shabbos, like you know, and like people are like, oh, I'm not gonna have bread, so I don't have to say beer katama zone. Have you ever seen that somebody do that? Definitely. Yeah. I, in my opinion, this is like awful. <laughs> no offense to anybody, but it's terrible. Like, oh, I'm not going to say a slightly longer blessing, and thus I will avoid eating a staple of human cuisine, right? Like the idea of it's beer caught on my own because it's the centerpiece of the of the meal. Like the notion, like oh, I'm going to have like a paltry snack instead of a meal, uh, so that I can avoid praising God. Terrible. Now, I think the answer to that is that there are totally halachic ways to shorten Birkat Amazon. And if people do feel like it's too long or too whatever, too strenuous, then fine, use the shorter versions of it. But you shouldn't stop eating bread so you don't say more brachas. That's clearly not the right call. And this is something similar. If Shemitah, you know, like all these from people like, oh, I'm so stark on Shemitah. I never give the poor a loan. Because that way I, I will make sure not to violate the Torah because that way I will not, um, I will, you know, abolish the loan. It's like, well, that doesn't work. You're violating the Torah anyway because the Torah is saying, make sure you don't withhold your money from people. So prose bull in this framing is Hillel's takana, which means Hillel's enactment. But takana comes from the language of litkon, litakain, which means to fix something. It's a fix or it's even a reparation. Hillel is making sure. And it's very, it's very religious this way. Hillel is saying, you know, we have two principles at war with each other, in tension with each other in Torah. One is the specific rule that loans need to be abolished. But the other one is that the God is saying part of the point of Shemitah is that capital is available for the poor. Right? Part of the point of Shemitah is a leveling out and equalizing of social relationships. How could that work if the poor are trapped and aren't able to get access to funds. It just becomes another part of the regime of oppression and exploitation, not what it's supposed to fix. So once Shemitah became something that kept people from loaning money to each other, then Hillel saw the need to intervene and he enacted the prose pool. So what is this prose pool? Ah, that's a great question. And the Gemara asked the same one. My prose pool, right? My Hanukkah. What is this prose pool thing? Right? He said, and this is a very like kind of a drush. It's a midrash answer. It says, Paros bule uvute. Rafchista says it's an ordinance of the bule and bute. What are the bule? Bule are the rich and bute are the poor. Um, and then it gives an example. It says, Vitani Rav Yosef. Rav Yosef taught, Elu ha bula os shebi Yehuda. Bute elu ha aniam dixiv avet ta'avitenu. Um, Rav Yosef, the bul, they're called the Bula'ot of Judah. And the Bute, we know that because it has in the Pasuk, it says, um, don't, uh, you shall not shut your hand from your needy brother, right? This is literally from what we just saw. You shall open your hand to them and you shall lend him. So Bute, according to this reading of Rav Yosef, means literally those who need money, right? Those who are in debt. It is debtors, right? It's a very like, it's a very exact definition of the poor. Are the poor are people who owe money? A lot of people in today's society are bute because today's economy is based in going in debt. You need to go into debt to be able to function economically. 
right? How are you supposed to rent an apartment or own a home if you don't have a if you don't have a good credit score? How do you get a good credit score? You need to borrow money from banks. That's what credit is, right? You need to have a credit card. You need to take out student loans. You need to do this, that, and the other thing. So the pros bull was instituted as a pros for boule and boute. But anyway, it's specifically boute, right? Pros boule. It's an enactment for the boule, for the rich, to make sure that the rich are lending money. Amarle Rava, Rava says, la la oza my pros bull, Amarle pursa de milta. Rava says, what is pros bull? He says it is a pursa of a matter, is institution of a matter, i.e. Hillel saw an exception that needed to be made. He saw that people weren't lending money and he developed a, a, a mechanism for it. He developed part of the system to be able to fix it. And that is the pros pool. Now, what literally is the pros pool, right? We haven't really gotten into this. Uh, but first, let's look at the Rashi. Rashi says, Bule ubute, ashirim vaniya, rich and poor, just like the Gemara said. Ashirim, and here's he's very, he, he makes this clear. Shalo yafsidu, right? It is and So obviously we know why this is a fix for the poor. So that the door is not slammed in their faces. It's literally what it says. The door is not locked before them, but so the door is not slammed in their face. So they go knocking on people's door, hey, I need money. Slam. Right? So this way, people are still going to be lending money, so the poor have access to capital. Great. But it's even a fix for the rich, says Rashi. Why? Because they get to loan out money, right? They get to still loan money. Now, part of the issue is also that, you know, ideally, specifically, according to Torah, you're not supposed to make money off of loans to Jews. All right, that's called rebis. So then how are they making money? It might not be that they're making money. It might rather be that they might be losing out morally. They might be losing out in terms of the kind of religious credit of sorts that's supposed to be coming their way, like we talked about a few weeks ago, right? That the, the rich shouldn't be absenting themselves from this either. Okay. So what is the Shemitah? Well, sorry, what is the prose pool? So let's look at the Sifrei. Sifrei is the Tanaitic Midrash on Devarim. Okay? It's the, Tana, it's the Tanaitic uh, exegesis, right? Explanation of the text in Devarim. He says, um, and what you have with your brother, your hand shall release, right? I.e., you have to, uh, you know, remit the debt at the Shemitah year, and not one who hands over the bills Shtarchov to the Beit Din. Okay, so Devarim already says that even before the prose bull is enacted, right, we already have an exception. What's the exception? If your uh your fellow right comes out to you and takes out a loan from you but then after establishing the loan you then hand over the starcho right the the loan document to the court to manage then you don't have to remit the debt anymore why the cfra gives or gives a reason it says because it's like a very textualist reason it says your hand. Ah, if you don't have it in your hand anymore because you don't possess the document, you gave it to the, the Beit Din, the tech, you know, the Torah doesn't say their hand, it says your hand. So you don't have it anymore, you don't have to remit the debt. But that's like a very like, you know, cute reason why. But what's the substantive reason? Why do you think 
Why do you think this mechanism was established? Just handing over the, the Masira of the, of the star globe to the base team. I want to hear some answers, no wrong answers. It makes sure that the money will be paid back because the bait team takes responsibility, not just the poor person. So there's um, people to back it up. Okay, but it's like a creditor for a loan. Like when you have um, people sign yeah. for you. Yeah. Right, that's true. But couldn't that just be then going against Shemitah? Wouldn't that just be like a workaround? I mean, it you, is just, a you can say, Pros bull is a workaround. I'm, I'm part of the, you know, I, I wrote legal fiction or moral fact. I, my argument in this class is that it's not some just like workaround legal fiction. There's something real happening here. It's not just, this isn't abolishing Shemitah. This is trying to perpetuate Shemitah in non-ideal circumstances. This way, the loans would still be taking place close to Shemitah if people needed money. Otherwise, there would probably be a lot of refusals. Of okay, so, okay, so in a way, this is like the proto-pros pool, that this way it gives a way for creditors to be able to lend out money and get their money back, and this way the poor have access to it. So effectively, you're saying this is pros pool, right? Yes. Is there any difference between what you're saying and pros pool? I'm not challenging. I'm just trying to sharpen. Not sure. Okay. From what you're describing, Ellen, there's no difference. There's no nafkanina, as it were, between pros bull and what you just described, handing the document over to the court so that money is available for people at the later stage of the Shemitah cycle. You have good people to rely on. Rashi agrees with you. You're, Rashi's on your side. Like, I'm just trying to sharpen which, like, what's the, what's the position you're on. You're saying basically this is pros bull. Great, that totally makes sense. Lauren's saying that this is a way to make sure that the debt is paid back, but then we, we're missing why this is something that's allowed in Shemitah, because isn't Shemitah supposed to make sure that debts aren't paid back? So I want to push Lauren on that, right? So who's the one collecting the debt? Ah, if you hand so over in this the case, it's the big dean and Good. not the lender. Good. So let's go back to the point, to the arrangement of so Shemitah. So then that makes it different. Mm -hmm, it does, right? You've now mediated yes. this. And that, okay, so I think that's that was like the kernel in what you were saying. And this is actually something in line with, um, with one of my teachers from, from my time in yeshiva, and we're actually going to get to his thoughts later on in the source sheet. Uh, but Rav Elishan Shalovitz, he argues that Shemitah is trying to make sure that we don't have inequitable relations between the creditor and the debtor, right? That the, the borrower is like pressing the, sorry, the lender is pressing the borrower for the money. But if you give it to the court, then that mediation means that even though the borrower still needs to pay back the money, it's being done by an instrument of the state, not by some person, right, who's holding this over you. So it's still maintaining the equitable social relations even while the borrower still does need to pay back the loan, but it's mediated through the court. The court means it's taken it out of your hands, just like the Midrash says, and put it in the hands of a neutral body, the base team. And, it's, and, and to what Ellen was saying, right, it's for this reason then that Hillel instituted the pros pool. 
So that's effectively what the prose bull is, right? The prose bull is a document you write out in which you basically outline what this deal is and I'm handing this over to the court to collect debt on my behalf. And then you make sure, and you, hand, and, and, and you have that in hand. So here's the text of the prose bull. I'll read in Hebrew first. It says, I transfer to you, um, John Doe, the judges in this, in, this, in this specific place, right, place X, every debt owing to me that I may collect it whenever I wish. And the judges are the witnesses signed below. Okay? So that's like a very, it's a very simple document. It says, I'm allowing the judges, not I'm charging the judges with the, with the ability and the responsibility, you know, and th with these details to collect the debts that are owed to me. And I can collect it from the courts whenever I want. Okay. We, can we assume that the court or the judges would be more um, forgiving or lenient in terms of how much or when the loan was paid back, because during Shemitah time, they may, you know, the person may not be able to have the money because they're not working. Uh -huh. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. So, I mean, that's, yeah, we have an interruption of economic activity. Um, so a lot of things are getting kind of stopped up in that way. So now what we have is kind of a little bit more economic facilitation, lubrication to make sure that people are able to gain access to funds. All right, so I want to look at this uh, following text. In the, so this is from the Jerusalem Talmud, right? There's two Talmuds, the Babylonian Talmud, the Talmud of Exile is the dominant Talmud. But there's also a Talmud that was uh, redacted in Palestine called Talmud Yerushalmi. Um, and it is the only Talmud we have that has like uh, commentary on these agricultural laws because these agricultural laws were only relevant in Eretz Israel, right? In Israel, uh, that the Babylonian Talmud only has Mishnah on Shvit. It doesn't have Gemara, but the Jerusalem Talmud does. So here's a good example of it. It says, Mikan samchul aprozbul shuhumina Torah. Uprozbul dvar Torah. Shehiskin hill samchul dvar Torah. Torah, 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 right here, we're getting to a point. And this is actually to come to the point that Lauren was gesturing to before. Is the prose bull a violation of Torah, right? Some just kind of workaround, or is it itself derived from Torah? The halacha here in the Gemara in Shvit says that it is itself from the Torah. Why? Because as we saw in the Sifre, justifying it from what we saw. Here's what Pnei Moshe says, who's the main, one of the main commentators on the, on, the, um, on the Yerushalmi, it says, they questioned if Hillel's prose bull really was Torah law. They answered that when Hillel enacted it, he relied on Torah law, specifically the verse Deuteronomy 15.3, like we saw before. That just as the Torah excluded the remittance of debt, if the shtarchov, the chit, had been transmitted to the court. So too, once the prose bull was established, with the chit prima facie handed over to the court, that the debt would not be remitted. Okay, so just some, you know, to put it in a little bit simpler terms, it said that 
the Pros Bowl seems like it is kind of undoing Shemitah because suddenly now these, you know, these, these debts are allowed to be collected. That seems to be going against the point of Shemitah. Shemitah says that these debts are canceled. Canceled. Right? But the Pros Bowl allows these debts to be collected. But Pnei Moshe is saying no. Hillel is actually extending the principle of Shemitah to create the pros bull. Why? Because he's relying on this verse. If someone makes a loan on a pledge, Shmuel says, even on a needle, what you have on your brother, you shall release. That excludes your brother's property in your hand. What, have, what you have on your brother, you shall release, which excludes one who hands over his documents to the court. Okay? So this is related to what we just saw before. If you hand over your documents to the court, then um, it follows this principle of Torah, namely that only what you actually have in your possession do you have rights to collect. But if you have charged someone else, i.e. the court, with the responsibility of collecting the debt, then that is an extension of, and even perhaps a component of the function of Shemitah. Okay. Um, this is very, we're going to get into the, now we're going to get to the Bavli, the Babylonian Talmud. Um, and we're going to look at this very interesting uh, point. Now, I actually want, I think my internet is back. I'm going to um, try to sign back onto my computer. Sorry, one sec. Beautiful. All right, now we're now we're cooking with gas. Um, okay, so here's what we have with the Bavli. I wanted to go this because this way you have the English and the Hebrew next to each other. I don't know how it looked before when we were doing it. Um, so it says, Tanya Rabbi Omer. So Rabbi Hudi Nasi, the editor of the mission, he says, Vzedvar Shmita, Shamot Bishtei Shmitos. How does Shmita function? Right, there's two aspects of Shmita we talked about. There's the agricultural. And there's the financial, right? When you are uh, abolishing agricultural work, right? When you uh, take a rest from working the land, that's when the Shemitah of debts also applies and vice versa. When you are uh, resting from agricultural work, that's when you are also canceling debts. And when you're not doing one, then you don't do the other. Okay. So then what does that mean? If there is a correlation between agriculture and the credit economy, if one changes, the other changes. Now, what has happened between the giving of the Torah and the Mishnah? 
I mean a lot, right? Right, what happened, you know, to the temple? Right, the mission uh, was edited in 200 CE. The Babylonian exile was 586 BCE. The Roman exile and destruction of the second temple was 70 CE. So what's the rabbinic relationship to the land? versus the biblical relationship to the land. Right, there's been disruption. The Jews have been sent into exile at, twice now. There is a remnant left, right, in Judea, in the Galilee, in Syria-Palestine. Right? We don't have autonomy anymore. We are under a foreign occupation. So once we've lost control over the basic organs of the economy, right? Agriculture, facilitating debts, right? Like we, it's not Jewish banks. It's the state bank. Then now we don't have the same uh, relationship, right? To these economic activities anymore. And now that redounds to how Shemitah functions as well. It says, So saying, effectively, now that our relationship to the land has been disrupted, Shemitah's not working anymore. So then how is it then that you're still not supposed to collect a debt at the seventh year? So what's the real Takana? We thought that Takana was, right, the rabbinic intervention was to suspend the abolition of debts. That at Shemitah, people can still collect money. Why? Because you do the pros rule, you give the thing to the court, and the court collects it for you. But the Gemara is now saying the opposite. This is wild. It's saying, no, listen, Shemitah's over. It's over. Right? Shemitah's over. It's done. And then the rabbis bring it back. It says, V'takina Rabbanan, Ditashamet Zecher L'Shvit. As a Zecher for Shvit to bring it back in our minds at least as remembrance of the real Shemitah, the rabbis established that you do abolish the debts. You do cancel the debts. Okay, so the rabbis brought Shemitah back. The rabbis said that at the end of the seventh year, you cancel the debt. And then because the rabbis brought it back, Hillel said, wait a second, now that they've tried to do Shemitah version 2.0, now what's happening? Now people aren't lending people money anymore. So now I need to do pros bull. So who's, who's Hillel fixing now, right? Is Hillel fixing the Torah according to this model, or is Hillel fixing the rabbis? So at this point, definitely he's fixing rabbinic law. Exactly. So now we have a machleikas. We have a machleikas between the Yerushalmi and the Bavli. Yerushalmi says Hillel is Torah-based. He is trying to tweak and to extend Shemitah Torah law. Bavli is saying now, like, oh, that's a bit too radical. Is he fixing Torah law? No, he's just fixing rabbinic law. 
Alpiha Torah, according to the Torah, there is no Shemitah anymore. Why? Because we were exiled, effectively. We're not, we don't have autonomy in the land anymore. But then the rabbis brought back Shemitah. And then Hillel is like, whoa, 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 slow your roll. Because we don't have full relationship to the land and the full command of the economy anymore, it's not working. It's not working. So he's saying it reflecting the position that the Jews are in. One in which we don't have control over the basic aspects of society. How are we supposed to do Shemitah if we don't have control over the society anymore? You can understand how if Jews are subject to occupation by an imperial power, by Rome, that they wouldn't be in a position in which they can forgive debts as much anymore. And because of that, then, the poor are left out in the cold. So Hillel then says, because we're in a situation in which we don't have the security that we need to be able to do Shemitah ideally, the rabbi's revival of Shemitah needs to be tweaked. People aren't lending to each other anymore, so I'm establishing the prose pool. Wait a second. Are you saying where... Is this anything like you're saying that Torah law, the Shemitah doesn't cancel a debt, but that sh but then this, the, the, the Chazal, right, the rabbi said, no, actually, it should cancel the debt. Is that what you're saying? That, that is what it's saying. And Abaye says back, shave al-tasehu. Rava says, it's hefker based in hefker. He says, Abaye is saying that it's not, I mean, what's wild, right, is, okay, so it's effectively saying, if the Torah is saying there's no more Shemitah, and then the rabbis are saying, Shemitah's back, baby. What? Who? Is that fair? Right, so according to Torah law, Del Risa, right, the Gemara is saying, the lenders deserve the money back. Right? If Shemitah is no longer canceling debts, then you're effectively letting borrowers become thieves. They're keeping money that's not theirs. And then the rabbis are coming back and saying, oh no, it's fine. It's fine. Right? The, ra the poor can keep the money. But if Torah is saying that it shouldn't be the case anymore, then effectively the you're saying it's okay to steal. You okay to, like, borrow money and then say, like, psych, never mind, I'm not giving it back. That's my, that's your problem, not mine. So, Abaye is saying, it's a sheva altasa, right? It is sit and don't do, i.e., it's not that they're stealing, but rather they're just not paying back. There's, you know, there's not a, it's not like endorsing it per se. It's not saying you can steal, but it is saying that you're, you don't have to be forced into it. And Rava is saying, it's hefker. Rava is saying that that the sages are able to institute this ordinance because because Hefker Bastin Hefker that the that the um, the court is allowed to declare something ownerless. Okay, so what's the point here? The point is that what's the function of the court? What's the function of the rabbi supposed to be? The rabbi, like the rabbinic court system for Shemitah is trying to achieve something that the Torah is describing. 
How so? That when the rabbis revived Shemitah, the point of it was to try to achieve the society that Torah described. Right? One in which the poor have access to money that they need. They were worried in a way that the canceling of Shemitah because of exile meant that people aren't going to lend money anymore. That people aren't going to have ac give access to uh, money to the poor. So they made sure then that the poor are able to keep the money that they need. How? Because the court is able to intervene in ownership relations. Um, the court is able to take over the ownership. That's what the prose bull establishes. The prose bull establishes that money, in a sense, is not and has never been about possession. Money is about circulation. That the court is making sure that money is moving, getting to where it needs to go. There is such a thing as what is known as excess capital. If you have money to lend, it means that you have money you don't need right now. And if somebody else needs it more, then the court is trying to make sure that the money is getting to where it can do the most good. And this is something that's actually very important to note because, especially in the rabbinic uh, literature, and we see this, you know, what do you call it when you own land? What's that called? What kind of estate? It's real estate. It's not imaginary. Right? Property is something tangible. You can hold on to it. Right? So is chattel, right? Like small, you know, like table, furniture, whatever. Movable property. But money is not property. Money indicates that you have access to capital, which is symbolic. So the court has a lot of latitude when it comes to how money functions. Um, and that's the way that the prose bull is working, that, the, that money is always about exchange, and it's really about relations. So by putting the prose bull, the shtarchov, in the possession of the court, it's letting the court then function the way it's supposed to, to facilitate relationships, to make sure people have what they need to function. Okay. Well, look at the Ron here. The Ron is commenting... What's the difference, right? This is the why I was getting at before with Ellen's comment, right? Ellen was on Rashi's side. There's no difference between what the Mishnah was saying about handing over the document to the court and prose bull. It's making sure that people have a way to keep loans being offered, even though the Shemitah is, you know, it's, it's almost there. So then what's the difference between that and prose bull? Rashi says there is no difference. It's basically just saying the same thing, but this Hillel has kind of made it more widespread. The Ron says that there's something unique going on here, and I want to get into it, because I think it's actually getting at the, the function, the, the point, the purpose. So the Ron, Rabbi Nisim of Girona, is commenting, his commentary is on the Gemara, but it's found printed next to the Rif, which itself is a kind of a halachic summary of the Talmud that you find at the back of many of the thicker volumes, the boys in the back, as they're called. Uh, so it says, Kevan de Minol of Monsieur Starasagi. Right, so it seems like, you know, according to the Torah law, we already had, right, we saw the Midrash. We don't need the prose bull. It's already there. It says you have to pay back, think, you know, the loan in your hands. If you've handed over the loan to the court, the Torah already said you don't need to pay it back, uh, that, that, that the court can collect it for you. You don't have to cancel it. So why do we need the prose bull? It's already there, right? That was Ellen's point. Lama hutrach lesakin prose bull. No, why did Hillel have to do anything at all? It's already there. 
says, Mipnei she'ein hakol rotsin limsor sh'tarosayin. Because not everybody wants to hand over the document to the court. Now here, he might be disagreeing a little bit with how, the, how that functions. He might be disagreeing with the Pnei Moshe before. He thinks that maybe a prosbul is something that's a document you sign and that you don't need to hand it over to the court yet, but effectively by signing the document and having everyone put their names down on it, it symbolically puts it in the court's possession. You don't need to literally hand over the document to the court. Now why is that good? It's good because he's saying it's making sure that people were still lending money because even with the handover of the document to the court fix, people were still hesitant because to give up that loan to the court means that, you know, it might be something political that goes down, maybe the, the judges, you know, lose it or something, who knows, but you might still feel insecure about it. So the pros will makes it even easier to make sure that your loan can be facilitated um, without actually just needing to go and like, you know, go down to the court, wait in line, take a number, you know, do the whole bureaucratic rigmarole. This way it makes it a lot more streamlined. He um, says, because sometimes you're just not able to, you're busy, whatever it is. So prosbul doesn't just become a thing that you can do. It becomes the prima facie, right? The, the first step in like what it means to normally offer a loan. Okay, so that's what's added here. That's extra than maybe what we saw before. Prosbul is easier because you don't necessarily need to go and hand it over to the court with all of that, you know, that all the bureaucratic red tape, and also because it makes it part of the loan-making process, not just an extra step. And that means that more people now are able to incorporate it in the in the economy, in the uh, in the credit system. Okay. So I just want to I just want to pause here and just kind of like summarize where we're at. Part of the issue we're trying to work out is Hillel established the pros bull to make sure that people are still loaning money because he saw that people were hesitant because they didn't want to effectively lose their lose their their capital when the shemitah happened. And one thing we've been exploring is whether what he's doing is going is trying to fix Shemitah, or what he's doing is an extension of what was already in Shemitah. In a way, we've seen arguments for both sides. It's an extension of Shemitah, because either this is the technical reason, because you're only supposed to cancel what you actually have possession of, so if you give it over to the court, then it's not, it doesn't apply to you anymore. Or it's because we see the Pasuk about how you're not supposed to withhold money from the poor, and if Shemitah's causing you to do that, then something's broken. That's an extension of Shemitah. Or it's a fix of Shemitah, as we saw, in which Hillel is going against what we saw about the rabbis, right? Going against the rabbinic revival of Shemitah and saying, in a sense, it's not appropriate anymore because we don't have the relationship to the land we used to. We don't have the relationship to the economy, full control or command of the economy anymore. And because of that, maybe it makes sense that people are too insecure to be um, just letting loans go because we don't have the command of the economy we used to. All right, so now I want to look at it's a little bit more technical problem, but a control on Shemitah. So we're going to look at the Tosefta, which is an alternative Tanaitic collection, like the Mishnah, but it's not the Mishnah. It's non-canonical. You see a lot of overlap, but it's a little bit different. The Gemara will often draw on these alternative traditions, and they're, they're at the same time as the Mishnah, around there, but it's not as authoritative as the Mishnah. All right, so let's look at this. So then Tosefta says, Lelove karka, ulamalve ein karka, kaisvimalav prosbul. If the borrower has real estate, right? They own a house, they own land, whatever. But the loaner 
right? The creditor doesn't own real estate. All that they have is just in stocks or whatever, right? They don't, they're, they're a renter, but all of their money is tied up in investments. They're not liquid. Kosfima Love Pros Bowl. You can write a pros bowl. If the lender has property, but the debtor does not, then you don't write a pros bowl. So if you were just to summarize, break it down, simple terms. What do you need for the pros bull to function? Who needs to have land in their possession? The borrower needs land. Exactly. Why? Go back to what we were saying before about the Greek version of the pros bulla. What's, how does the court make sure that the lender gets the money back? They sell off your land, right? They garnish your wages, right? They take, they sell off parcels of your land until the, the lender gets their money back. So, in other words, what is a pros bull in the version of the Tosefta? It's a guarantor system. It's basically that you're secure, what's it called? Um, you're securing your property as a lien against your loan, right? You've borrowed money. You have this, uh, it's not ransom, what's it called? It's not hostage, I mean, it's um, it's a security of sorts. I forget, there's a, there's a term for it that I'm forgetting. It's like hostage or something, but you have this property as your fail-safe, effectively. If you don't have the money to pay them back, the court can seize your land and use that to pay back the lender. So if you don't have, have land anymore, then they won't do a pros bull for you. But if the point of the pros bull is to make sure that money is circulating to the poor, did we just didn't we just then write out all of the poor, like the poor poor who don't have land? Right? If the point of the pros bull is to make sure that the poor are able to get money, but now it's only the landed poor that can get money? So something seems to be wrong here. Tosefta says that you can also do it. I mean, this so Rav Bigman's theory is that this actually applies to the non-Shemitah pros bull, is that we're talking about the system of the pros bull in which it's really just about lending in general. And this it makes sense. It's basically, it's a guarantor system. Or it's a security system. Um, and if your guarantors have land, or if people who owe you money have land, right, then you then you can still have a pros bull rating, because you have access to land because of financial relations. But if you don't have any access to land, whether you own it yourself or people who owe you have land, then you can't get a pros bull, which means you don't have access to money close to Shemitah. So that seems problematic. But here comes the Mishnah, all right, the authoritative Tanaitic document. It says this. Ein kosvim pros bull ella alakarka. A pros bull is only ever written if there is land, right? The IE can be paid back via sell, selling off land. In ein lo, but if you don't have any land, and you're the borrower. Then the creditor gives you access to land, like the land that they own, so that you can get the pros bull. This, that's a, now that's interesting. Before we saw that basically if you don't have access to land, you can't get the pros bull, which means you don't have access to credit when you need it. But now the Mishnah is saying, recognizing that that means it's writing off the poorest of the poor. And now what we have is the re-entry, and here's the real, here's the rub. 
bringing back human relationships, which is the point of Shemitah. Now what we're seeing is that the point of to make sure that the poor can get the loan is that the rich, right, the lender, gives them a title in their own land. That's a way to make sure it's secured. Now, he's securing against himself, right? That makes no sense. But the point of it is so that even the poorest of the poor still have something to be secured to. And that, in this case, now is... I mean, essentially, it's, 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 you're now indebted to this person. So that's, like, potentially problematic, right? Now you have, like, a debt. You're indebted to their land, right? You're even now, like, doubly indebted to them. You borrowed money and also you borrowed it against their money their land. Um, but the point of it, though, is to make sure that the poor have access to money when they need it. Um, but if they can't pay back, then that's the land that can be taken? Well, I mean, obviously you can't, like, take the land to pay him back himself. I think what it'd be, they'd work out some other arrangement. You'd work it off, maybe? Right? The point is that you now have, like, a relationship where you can work it out. Before, the Tosefta is that if you don't have land, you don't have money. You can't get the money. But that means then that the poorest can't get money. So now it's saying if you don't have access to land, the lender can give you, like, basically secured against his own property. And that means then that what it's security, it's a, what's it called? It's a, it's a debt finance security, right? Like, you're financed against your loan. So it means that you have to pay it back somehow or another. I, I would say probably you do it through labor. Right, like we saw before, like you do it by working it off. You somehow access to capital, right? Your time is valuable, so you can use, you know, your 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 labor skills. Um, does that make sense? So we saw before how, like, the the prose bull could only be written if it is secured against property, but then that means then the people who don't have access to property, i.e., the people who need the loans the most won't have access to loans. So then here comes the Mishnah and says, no, the rich, i.e. like the lender, can secure the loan against their own land. Which means that it just makes sure that the that the poor still have access to money, even though, again, it makes it, it makes, we're talking about the, the, the transformation of the ideal into the real. Ideally speaking, you would just forgive the loan. That's still available. People can still do that. They don't do the pros pool. They just give someone a loan and then they don't get it paid back. That's never taken away. Right? That's always still a possibility. But if you cannot do that necessarily, if you if you don't feel secure enough to do that, then you can write it against their land and do the pros pool. But if they don't have land, the mission is saying you couldn't even write it against your own land. And what that means then is once Shemitah comes, and then eventually when you have to rec recollect that, when the court collects that loan, it's collected against yourself, which means what you have now is their debt. And what that means is it reminds us that all debt relationships are human relationships. They're labor relationships, too. Right? It is a, it's a relationship of capital, whether it is real capital, your, your land, financial capital, money, or labor capital, right? what you're able to offer somebody. So it makes it complex and complicated, even maybe in a way which Shemitah was trying to prevent but Shemitah, bottom, like, and bottom line is trying to make sure that people have access to money. And I think in a way, the Mishnah is trying to bring us back, back to each other. To recognize what we owe to each other. Right? Because the lender is putting himself on the line. 
to offer this loan. And that brings the two, the lender and the creditor, the lender and the borrower into this connection again, into this relationship. Thoughts? It's technical stuff. I mean, like, this is, you know, it's real estate law. Um, but I'm trying to, like, kind of dig through the details to try to get to the point. Right? The point here is that we just saw the way in which Prosbool is used. Like, the fix for it ends up becoming the problem. Right? The fix for it was that it's secured against somebody's property. But then it forgot that what if you don't have property? Right, you're, those are the people who need the, the, the money the most. And then the Mishnah comes around and says, ah, no, those people, what's really based in is the relationship between the creditor and the debtor. The, the, the creditor is able to write it against his own property. In other words, give himself up to the, to the debtor in that way. And the debtor gives himself up to the lender by uh, basically by entering a, like a debty relationship to them. But hopefully, you know, if Shemitah's done its work, like we talked about before, it means that that relationship's going to be re going to be different. It's going to be transformed because of the effect of Shemitah, that people are going to be able to see the human being on the other side of that. That's the idea here. Let's try to humanize capital, if that's possible. Um, so here comes Rav Yehuda. Rav Yehuda says, quotes Shmuel. Shmuel in the Gemara is skeptical of Prosbul. He actually says, I wish I could get rid of Hillel's fix. I want to get rid of it. Uh, but we're not going to talk about that aspect of it here. Um, but he says here, he says, Yisomin ein srichim Prosbul. Okay, so above we just saw that if somebody wanted to take a loan, then they need to do the Prosbul, which means that what they need is property, or what they need is to be um, granted a title in the lender's property. But what if you're an orphan? If you're an orphan, you might not have access to these things. In other words, what if you are like a marginalized member of society, but you're able to lend somebody money? Out of the goodness of your heart, you lended somebody money. Shmuel says, a prose bull isn't even needed. Shemitah doesn't apply to you. Because the Yasomi need the money. Right? Shemitah is supposed to make sure the people who need money get it. And if the people lending the money also need the money, then again, Shemitah is broken if we think it's supposed to punish the generous for their generosity. Does this make like does that does that come across? It's it's a, it makes it a little bit more of a complex calculus. The normal Shemitah, the baseline Shemitah, is that somebody with access to money lends the money, and then once Shemitah comes around, they don't get paid back. You know what? They had too much money anyway, and they didn't really lose that much. And whoever needed the money got it. But if you're an orphan, you're an orphan, and you're lending somebody the money, it would be a very impoverished society that let you take the fall for that, and instead didn't try to protect you. All orphan-backed uh, loans are secured by the state, is effectively what he's saying, right? Every orphan is secured by the state. They don't need special insurance. They don't need special pros bool. They are protected because they deserve extra protection. So Shemitah, it means, in Shmuel's reading of it, Shmuel is like skeptical of pros bool, but he agrees with Hillel. <laughs> That Shemitah needs to function in a way 
in which its real goal is being achieved, namely, those who need the money the most get it. Whether that's permanently, because the loan is forgiven, or temporarily through prosbool, which allows loans to function even if people would be hesitant. Or in this case, if somebody really put themselves on the line, that they would have make that their repayment would be secured, that they wouldn't have to go through jump through hoops or go through extraordinary measures to make sure that they got their money back. What's the definition of an orphan in terms of like age range? Uh, great question. Um, we're talking about, I think, in this case, like not somebody who's just like any like an adult whose parents are dead. We're talking about somebody who has, I think, doesn't have a livelihood of their own, and their main sustenance is coming from their inheritance. So that makes sense, right? So like, if you were lending money out because you are an incredibly nice person, out of the money that you inherited from your dead parents. The notion that that money, like think how like emotionally charged that is too, right, wouldn't get paid back to you, that's exploitative. Shemitah is not supporting exploitation. Shemitah is making sure that people who get money, who need money, get it, and that exploitation is abolished. It's exploitation that we're working against. So if somebody, you know, in a way, like against their better judgment, against what's best for them financially, lend out money, Shemitah is not there to punish them for that. Shemitah is there to protect them. Why? Because that says Rabban Gamli Ovestino Avian Chelyasomi. Because they don't need to do the pros school. Why? Because society takes care of them. It's a beautiful point. Who's their father now? Who's their mother? The rabbis. Every single rabbi in Bastine, like the Rabban Gamliel, who's the Nussi, he's the president of the rabbis. Justin Trudeau is the father of every orphan, right? That's what it's saying. Rabban Gamliel and his, and his parliament is the parent of every orphan. The court, right, the court is the functionary of, of, of the prosbul. Prosbul exists to make sure that money is circulating so the poor have access to it. If it is the orphan, i.e. the poor, right, who are giving the money, prosbul, i.e. the court, <laughs> is making sure that the poor are being taken care of, whether they're on the debting side, right, the borrowing side, or even on the lending side. Um, you know, we got at this, this is a little bit like a, a little abstract, but before we were talking about, and this is like the question of the rabbinic versus the Torah prosbul. This is the Kesef Mishnah, who is the Yosef Karo, or the Shulchan Aruch, it's a commentary on the Mishnah Torah. He's commenting on Rambam's principle that a Beit Din can, ever, can, never, can only correct a, a, a ruling of a previous Beit Din if it's greater than, greater than the previous Beit Din in number and in scope. And it gets into all these questions about rules affected by the rabbis. Now here's what he says about the prose bull. He's saying, is the prose bull a way to protect the Torah, or is it a way to fix the Torah? One way of looking at it is that the prosbul is 
a fix of the Torah. Uh, sorry, is a protection of the Torah. And that's how we saw it described in the Sifre, right? It's to make sure that people are not violating the principle of withholding money from the poor, which is explicitly what the Torah tells us not to do. Okay? But the Kesef mission has a very interesting tweak on it. He says, but that wouldn't, that's not enough to explain because he's saying it's not that they're violating anything. They're just, like we said before, it's shave al It's just that they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. That's not enough to intervene and to really strongly reform a basic Torah rule of Shemitah. That's not enough to empower or justify fixing Shemitah. So what's really going on here? He says, rather, the real reason for Prozbul was not to protect the Torah, but rather an enacted policy to protect the poor. So I mean, it's not, he's saying it's not like some religious, technical, textual point in which Hillel is making sure that nobody is like breaking Torah, but rather it's to make sure that the goal of Torah is being established and secured, which is to protect the poor. It's not about the technicalities of Torah. And this is my pushback against the, and I agree with Ravalisha and others, that this isn't just some legal fiction to just like basically turn Torah into a system of technical rules and then tweak it and use these like loopholes and stuff to make sure that it, it has the results that you want it to. Because if that's the case, Torah becomes meaningless. Rather, says the Kesef Mishnah, Yosef Karo, the Machaber, he says, it's about actually making sure that the purpose of Torah is being fulfilled. And what's the purpose of Torah with Shemitah? To protect the poor. So that the door is not shut in their faces, like we saw in Rashi, when they are not in need. And even for those with funds, so they don't lose out, right? So they still have the opportunity to make the loans. And now it makes sense, he says, why Rav Chista said that's a pros bull because it's a rule, pros, bute, for the rich not to violate the Torah's principle, or for the bule, rather, for the rich. But from our explanation, right, what we saw above, which I kind of summarized, it's also an enactment for the poor, not as a protection of the Torah, right? We're not worried about protecting the Torah. The Torah is here to protect the poor. So what seemed like, like, you know, prose bulls trotted out, like, especially in, like, the modern Orthodox world, you know, it's a subtitle on the Facebook event. It's a quote from Blue Greenberg, right? A great, powerful uh, leader in the modern Orthodox community who said, where there's a rabbinic will, there's a rabbinic way. And she's referring to the ways in which uh, roles for women can be deepened and expanded in traditional Judaism. And that really the only reason these things haven't been done is because there hasn't been sufficient leadership and that she's been a spur, right? You know, a grit to try to push people to make better decisions. <laughs> But that makes things kind of arbitrary. It's just about whether you decide to or not. What's motivating your will? What's motivating our momentum? Here is a values-based thing, and the value was already in Torah. The value was already in Shemitah. The program of Shemitah only works if the result of it is to protect the poor. Otherwise, there's no point to Shemitah. There's no point. It's not just 
Some like ah, it's a it's a it's a mitzvah you do with you know that we don't know the meaning of it. We know the meaning of it. It's to protect the poor. It's to equalize social relationships. It's to make bring peace. It says it in the Torah, right? Judaism today turns everything into these technical rules, and we forget that the Torah is trying to teach us things and train us. Torah of Shemitah is trying to ensure that the poor are taken care of. And if the poor stop being taken care of, then something is broken. And that's why Hillel swooped in to establish the prose pool, to make sure that the poor were still at the forefront of our mind, that money, capital, loans were circulating, and that those who needed money the most had access to it. That's the point. And if that's not working, something's broken. So it's not just some legal fiction, but rather it is actually, in a way, a reapplication of Shemitah so that its result is still functional. Uh, from Ravalisha's uh, essay, which I, I highly recommend I can share with you if you want me to send it to you, he writes this near the end. He says, to generalize, he says, the tend of thesis, da da da, is that the Tanaim may very well not have viewed religious law as a formalistic, deductive legal system that requires intentional misreads of authoritative texts or the introduction of, le introduction of legal fictions in order to allow for change. Ravlisha is a genuine genius. Let's make it a little more accessible. He's saying it is, an, it is not right to see the Tanaitic approach of Torah, to see it as just a set of technical rules that they use their little tricks, right, and intentionally misread things against the intention in order to get the result that they want. Ravalisha is insisting, and I very much agree with my teacher here, that Torah is not just some empty technical system which can be manipulated through strategery. Rather, he says, they may very well have viewed it as a system of interpretive legislation, i.e. laws which you need to interpret to understand, in which sages, right, the professionals, are expected to openly discuss multiple religious texts or values in order to apply those values to contemporary conditions. So, ah, what's Torah? Torah is not some just meaningless technical arbitrary system, but rather Torah is a complex, divine, manifold, system with many things inside of it which might not always jibe at the same time. And the sage is required to be wise and discerning in looking at the system and seeing how this complex object functions. Sometimes it functions simply, but sometimes you need to dig into it and reapply it or redeploy it in a way so that it's able to function with changed conditions. It's not changing Torah, it is keeping Torah vibrant. Torah is from God, and God is greater than any human condition that we can imagine. Thus, Torah presents and represents itself through rabbinic interpretation in the ways it needs to to fit the world that we have. So when we had, before the exile, full command of the economy, full control over our agriculture, Shemitah was able to function the way it was. 
Right? It's what Rebbe Yehuda, Anasi said. But now that we don't have access to the economy the same way we do anymore, we don't have control over the Department of Agriculture anymore of ancient Rome. Shemitah is not able to function the way it has to. So Shemitah has to change so that what it's trying to accomplish can still be accomplished. And what is it trying to accomplish? To make our relationship with the earth less exploitative, to make our relationship with each other more harmonious. How? Well, relationships can only work between human beings if people have the money that they need. Torah cares about your material well-being. And if the poor don't have access to the money they need, then Torah can't work. You know, this is a theory, not just of Shemitah, of Prozbul, but it's a theory of Torah. That Torah is purposive. It's trying to make a world happen. And if it stop, if we stop trying to apply it in the world, if we forget that Torah is supposed to accomplish something, then something really serious has been lost. If we miss the forest for the trees, we say, oh, I have to keep Shemitah the way it has to be. I'm never going to give a loan again. I'll never save your Katama zone. Right? I won't do what I need to be doing so that I don't do something wrong. But that way, what's, what are the costs? The poor don't have money anymore. So the real goal of Shemitah, which is to make sure the poor have access to what they need, whether it's through taking the food from the from the fields when everything is hefker, or by abolishing the, the, the loans, that's not working anymore. So instead, we need to keep the loans moving so that the funds are flowing. Because the real point of Shemitah and what Prozbul is trying to do is to achieve Shemitah's goal, which is to ensure human social harmony, tikkun olam. They may have understood that law cannot be deductive, i.e. just technical, because law is an evaluation of reality in the direction of justice. He's quoting a, an academic there, but, we, but that's what he's saying Torah is too. Torah is looking at the real world not just our ideal fantasy, but the world as it actually is. And then making sure that the system we have is able to achieve the most just results. I want to end with this Mishnah, sorry, this Gemara from Makos, in which it already sees the way in which people thought they could get around. And I think it proves that Prozbul was never some legal fix, some legal fiction, some loophole. Because it says, if somebody says to another, I am lending you money, but only on the Tanai, on the condition that Shemitah doesn't work, it doesn't work. You can't use your legal trickery to get out of Shemitah. So how could it be then that the Prozbul does that? If the prosbul keeps the loan going, it cannot be that it is breaking Shemitah. It can only be as a way to achieve the ultimate goal of Shemitah. As it says in the end, and this is Shmuel, who remember was skeptical of prosbul, perhaps for exactly this reason. He says, if somebody says that I'm going to do something, but with the condition that it breaks Torah, 
That condition cannot work. The only conditions that we can use, the only fixes, the only takanas, enactments, interventions, innovations that we can use when it comes to Torah are not ever ones that break Torah or weaken Torah or fracture Torah or cancel Torah. Prosbul exists as a Torah innovation, not as uh, the fixing of Torah, but as the extension of Torah into the world. A way to reapply Torah so that it achieves what God needs us to achieve in the world as we have it. To look at the real world and to figure out a way to bring the ideal into it. That's the point of prosbul. Not the sacrifice of the ideal for the real, but rather a synthesis of the ideal into the world as we have it. Thanks for your patience. Sorry for the technical difficulties um, and sorry for the technicalities of this, but I hope we were able to kind of like hack our way through all the really technical real estate law and get to the real human heart of it. That prosbul is about making sure that this ideal system is able in some way to translate into the real world to ensure that those who need the most have what they need. Um, our last Shemitah class will be next Monday. We'll be looking at the Heter Mechira, um, which is the allowance that Rav Cook wrote to let agriculture function after the reestablishment of the Mandate Palestine in early 20th century. Uh, another example of uh, the way in which it's like kind of the classic Shemitah of not working the land seems to be canceled in some way, or again, is it a redeployment or reapplication in the real world? So we'll look at that next Monday, 7.30. Hope to see you there. Uh, tell your friends. We'll be wrapping up our Shemitah class that week. After that, we'll have, uh, we'll focus, turn our focus to Pesach. So if there are things specifically about the Haggadah or about the holiday that you want to talk about, feel free to email me and I'll start putting some materials together. Um, we can hopefully do like a Haggadah sit down and just like a Haggadah chat too, like we did last year. Um, so just bring your thoughts, feel free to shoot me a message and tell your friends. Um, and then we'll have a special Parsha chat or Chodesh chat, Matzah chat this Thursday at seven. Renee will be leading us in a very special session about the spirituality of Matzah and the importance and significance of time. So I hope you can join us then. Um, and, um, and thanks so much for joining. Hope you all have a great week. Thank you, Josh. Nice to see everyone. Bye.